Well, this morning we're going to be talking about resting and rejoicing in God's Sabbath out of Leviticus 25. And to help us do that, I'm going to ask a, a question for us to consider. The question is this, what, what do you do when you rest? What do you do when you rest? If it's time for you to, to rest, what, what, do you, what do you do? If you're anything like me, I know when I think of rest, usually my, my first thought is just escape. Like I'm just, I'm wore out, I'm tired, I just need to like, I need to check out of reality and I just need to veg. It's a TV or movie or football season's coming, y'all, pray for me. Like, this is, there's, there's things that, you know, they call to just step away from reality and engage. For others, it may be reading a book, going on a hike, fishing, painting, basket weave, whatever your thing is. Everybody has things that, you, that we try to, to maybe escape from just the weariness of, of life. And... Those things aren't, aren't necessarily bad. Um, but there is, there's a different kind of rest that God talks about in His, his Word. It, it, it's, it's the kind of rest that He calls His people to do. And it's not an escape from reality, but rather it's, it's an engaging with Him. That we're called to rest in Him. And it's interesting, when you read through the Bible, it, it, is, it is one of the distinctive commands that God has given His people called, called the Sabbath. And as we've been studying through the Old Covenant here, we're seeing a lot of things that God gave to His people that were shadows of a greater substance of Christ Himself. And one of the things we're going to be seeing this morning is this idea of the Sabbath. That on prescribed times, God called Israel to stop what they were doing, to step away and to rest. Not to escape from reality, but to engage with Him who is reality, with God Himself. And He did this to mark them apart. Again, as we've been studying through this book, we've seen this, this repeating theme again and again that God is, there's nobody like Him. He is holy. He's set apart. And what He's doing in His people is He's creating a people who look like Him. They're set apart. They look different, holy unto Him. Leviticus 11.45 is kind of the theme verse for the book we've said is, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy, for I am holy. To help us think about how we do that through resting, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 25. So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible... There's one provided for you in front. We're on page 102 in those Bibles. Leviticus chapter 25. Now, this morning is going to be a little bit different kind of approach to studying a passage of Scripture than what we're normally used to here. Here, we normally just open up and we kind of go line by line, verse by verse, kind of word by word. There'll be some of that today. um, But we are going to do more of what you might call a biblical theology of the Sabbath. We're going to exegete, as it were, the the main idea of the Sabbath from Genesis to Revelation, but camping out a bit in Leviticus 25, since this is is where we are. I want to commend to you two other sermons that would be really helpful, I think are are a a better exegesis, or a a better expositional sermon, as it were, on, on the Sabbath 
uh, year and the year of Jubilee here, uh, chapter 25. One is by Kevin DeYoung. So you can just Google Kevin DeYoung, Leviticus 25. You'll find it. Uh, the other is by Ben Hamilton, the guy who's been leading uh, service this morning. He did an evening service here message, uh, a 15-minute message, so that one's easy to do. And, uh, but he did a great job on handling the Sabbath, so we can, uh, we'd be happy to pass that along to you. I want to commend both of those. The way we're going to approach this text and this idea this morning is we're going to be asking three questions. So what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? Secondly, when did Israel observe the Sabbath? When did Israel observe the Sabbath? What did God tell them to do? And then how should Christians observe the Sabbath? How should Christians observe the Sabbath? What's the same? What's, what's different? All right, let's start with this first question. What is the Sabbath? Now, if you, I told you to go to Leviticus 25, but that's, that's coming up. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, okay? Very first, very first uh, chapter of first book of the Bible. As you're turning there, I just want to say the word Sabbath, it means to, to cease, to stop, to rest. And this, this idea of, of stopping comes very early in the story of history, in the story that God tells us here in, in the Bible, the recounting of, of what has happened in time. Look with me at Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's, that sets the stage. There's a God. He made everything. The rest of chapter 1, day 1, he said, let there be light, and there was. Day 2, he created the heavens where the birds fly, and then the heavens where the stars are. Day 3, you've got land and sea, fruits and veggies. Day 4, you've got stars and seasons. Day 5, you've got birds and fish. Day 6, you've got animals and then man and woman. And then at the end of chapter 1, verse 31... It says here, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. God made the world in six days, and he said, it is good. This is the assumption of the Bible, that there's a God who made the world. Okay? And then we see God do something here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is really important to see. This is pre-law, okay? This is, this is pre-Israel, as it were. And he paints this picture here of, of God, the artist, and he has just finished his masterpiece. He just created a perfect world that he says is, is very good. And it's filled with, with sounds and smells and, and sights and colors and water and every kind of, of flower and animal and fish and people made in his own image. And God steps back and says, it's good. It's done. I've made the world a perfect, a perfect world. You ever had a project that you're working on and you get done and you step back and you're like, that's good. That's the same kind of idea here. God finishes his work and he says, it's good. 
And then we learn about this relationship that God has with, with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the day, chapter 3 says. What that means is that they, they, Adam and Eve, in this perfect world, they used to see God. Now that's a quiet time. You know what I'm saying? Like, wake up in the morning, and you're just going to go on like a legit walk with Jesus, okay? You're going to see God. All they knew was Him and all of His wonderful blessings that He had given. Their world was filled with joy and love and peace and contentment. And they were fulfilled in the work that they did in the garden. God had told Adam and Eve, listen, you guys, I've got ten the garden. It's all yours. Enjoy. Work happened before the fall as well. You had a perfect life in a perfect world. This was the original Sabbath. A place, a state, as it were, of unending rest in God. Where life is about enjoying Him and doing His work unhindered by any kind of weakness or pain or suffering or sin. That's the original Sabbath. And that is the way that God created the world to exist. But in His plan, things changed dramatically. And something went terribly wrong. We know in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They ate of a tree that God told them not to, and sin entered into the world, and the relationship with God was broken. So they hid from Him. This relationship that used to be filled with joy and and peace and contentment and engaging with God now results in trembling and fear and trying to escape from God, getting away from Him. Spiritual death is what we call it. The wages of sin is death. They died spiritually and now also inherited physical death. Genesis 3.15, God gives the promise of a Savior who is going to come and is going to give them rest by crushing on the head of the serpent who brought the temptation. And the rest of the Bible is about how God fulfills that promise. But between now and then, they wait. And that waiting, and our waiting, it's not easy. For lots of reasons, but in particular, one of them is that work is now cursed. You had that sneaking suspicion, didn't you? Well, it's in the Bible. It's true. Work is hard now because sin is in the world. Look at Genesis 3.17. God says this to, to Adam. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. God says, life from here on, you're going to work like you were doing in the garden. Before it was enjoyable, but now it's going to be hard. And you're going to just work hard for the rest of your life and then you're going to die. book of Ecclesiastes that Daniel Jamibawan taught this morning. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. If it's just life under the sun, if all there is is that, it's a wearisome task. And then he sends him out of the garden. Verse 23, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of, the, of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
go out. No more Sabbath. There's no more rest for you now. You go out into a world that is hard, and you are going to now have to walk by faith, not by sight. And you are going to be longing for that Sabbath rest that you were created to have. And the rest of the Bible begins this looking for that rest. The world fills with people and wickedness, and God, God's people have this remember of the promise, somebody who's going to deliver them, and there's a guy who's born whose name is Noah. Anybody know what Noah's name means? It means rest. They're hoping that he might be the one who's going to bring this Sabbath rest back. It's going to bring this rest where we'll be with God again. But then you have the flood. You have the Tower of Babel. After the Tower of Babel, God pulls out a man named Abram, a formal idol, former idol worshiper. Makes him, says, I'm going to make you a great nation. He promises three things to him. I'm going to give you land, seed, and blessing. I'm going to give you land, a place where I will provide and protect for you. I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you descendants, children. I'm going to give you lots of children. And blessing. Through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. The ultimate way that's fulfilled is in Christ himself. Then you go to Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. They end up in Egypt. They're enslaved there under Pharaoh. And then God raises up a deliverer. His name was Moses. All right? God raised up Moses, delivered them out from, um, from Egypt, ten plagues, Red Sea. God gives them manna in the wilderness, then water, and then he brings them to a big mountain called Mount Sinai. So God has his nation now, the nation of Israel. He brings them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them his law. And as he begins the law, he gives them the top ten, the Ten Commandments. Listen to this from Exodus Chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. This is God's command. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For, now watch this, so this is the first time you've seen Sabbath since Genesis. This is your first time you see it again in the giving of the law. Now look what he roots the giving of the Sabbath to Israel in. Verse 11 of chapter Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God says, you're my people now, and I'm going to set you apart as distinct. And one of the ways you're going to do that is you're going to stop on the seventh day every week, and you're going to remember. And you're going to remember the creation. You're going to remember what God did, that he made the world, and on the seventh day he rested. And as you remember that, you're going to remember that the whole world is God's, which means that everything that you have it's from Him. Every shirt you own, every chariot you've got, every donkey you've got, every, for us, everything that we have, it's all from Him. God made the world. And, I think implied, remember what it was like on that first seventh day. 
where there was peace with God and you knew Him and you, you were loved by Him and you enjoyed Him. Remember what Adam and Eve had. Remember the creation account. Remember it. Stop and remember the Sabbath. Now God gives two other reasons around the Sabbath. Um, for the reason for, for having it. Another is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's your next book. It's the second giving of the law after the nation wandered because of disobedience. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe this, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So the first reason on the Sabbath that you stop is to remember the creation, that God made the world. Reason number two is to stop and remember what? God did what? He saved you. He redeemed you. He delivered you. Remember redemption. Remember how God saved you. You were enslaved in Egypt. There was no way out. There was no hope. You couldn't do anything to help yourselves. But God, did you see that verse? You see how it says? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It's the picture of God reaching down from heaven and saying, those are my people. They're coming with me. And he scooped them up and took them out. He said, we're going to a promised land that I've got for you. Just like I promised Abraham. They're mine. He says, remember that. Remember that. Remember creation and all that's entailed there. And remember redemption. You were made and you were loved. Remember. Stop and remember. And then, it's also interesting to note here that this, as I pointed out earlier, that this this command of the Sabbath... It doesn't come until the law is given to Israel. And the reason is because this serves not just as a special day on their calendar, but as a special day on their calendar that was a sign of the covenant that God was dealing with them with under called the Mosaic Covenant. See, one of the things, I'm not sure if you know this or not, whenever God makes promises throughout the Bible, okay, whenever he makes promises, covenants, significant covenants, he always gives something with it. What does he give with it? Thank you. A sign. He gives a sign. He says, so when you see this, or you think about this, it's going to remind you of my promise. So Noah, God made a covenant, and he gave him the sign of a a rainbow. Saying, every time you see a rainbow, you need to remember that judgment should be falling right now, but mercy is given. That's what you should think when you see a rainbow. Is that we deserve judgment. But God is with withholding it and giving mercy. Think about that next time you see a rainbow. Then you've got Abraham, the sign of circumcision. On the male reproductive organ, there is going to be a reminder that through one of your offspring is going to come a Messiah, a Savior of the world. Remember, David, every time you think of a throne... Then you have the New Covenant. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate now. Reminders, signs of the New Covenant. And then for the Mosaic Covenant, the sign was the Sabbath. This was what marked the Mosaic Covenant. Listen to this from Exodus 31, verse 13. Keep my Sabbaths 
For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. God says, this is a sign of this covenant that I'm making. The law, the Mosaic covenant that God gave to Israel. He says, the sign of it is the Sabbath. Through this, I'm setting you apart. So one of the ways that Israel showed their faithfulness to God and the covenant that he made with them was by keeping the Sabbath. Resting was a mark of faith that we believe in the God who made this covenant with us. So he says, stop and remember the covenant. Remember how I have set you apart as my own. I've made you distinct from everybody else. You see why this this Sabbath was so weighty for Israel. It's a reminder of God in creation and God in redemption and God in his covenant love for his people. It set Israel apart as God. That's why he says in Exodus um, chapter 31, verse 14, everyone who profanes the Sabbath shall be put to death. Did you hear that? To profane the Sabbath, coming with that is a death penalty. Because what you're saying, if you won't keep the Sabbath in the way that God prescribes, is this. God, you, I don't care if you made the world... I don't care if you provided redemption. I don't care if you've thrown out covenants. I will not have you rule over me. You will not rule over me. I'm not doing this Sabbath thing. No. That, that is, in God's book, high treason. And he says, if you will not have me as your Savior, you will have me as your judge and you will die. So that's why when you read through the Old Testament, you see people breaking laws and dying sometimes, like quickly. You think, whoa, what happened there? Well, it's because God was their king, and it's high treason to rebel against the king. And under the Mosaic Covenant, that is what came with it. God is a holy king. He's a good king. And God doesn't just give this so that they'll tremble in fear, but also so they'll rejoice in him. Listen to this from Isaiah 58, verse 13. This is great. If you call the Sabbath a delight, meaning if your heart is oriented in faith to see that this this covenant sign I've given to you, Israel, of creation and redemption and covenant, if if you see that as a delightful thing, if you honor it, not going your own ways, then you shall take delight in the Lord. If you honor it, you will take delight in the Lord. So obeying the Sabbath leads to delighting in God. That's His aim. Psalm 92 says it this way, and this is, it's interesting, when you read through all the Psalms, you know, sometimes I'll give you like a little prescript at the beginning saying this was for this particular occasion. There's one Psalm that was to be read on the Sabbath. You could read others, I'm sure, but But this one was written for the Sabbath. It's Psalm 92. Check it out later. But I'll give you a little snippet here. It says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. 
on the Sabbath day, God's people stop in Israel. And their prayers and their songs and their memories and their words and their hearts are stoked to joy by the Sabbath. Because when you're just going about work, sometimes it's easy to forget. But that's why God says, my people won't forget. Stop. Remember me. So the Sabbath, what was it? The Sabbath was an appointed time God's people were to stop, rest, remember, and rejoice in God. They were to stop, rest, remember, and rejoice in God. It was not just a day off. It was a day off with God. That's what God created it to be. Now, when did Israel observe the Sabbath? Okay, so that was question number one. Question number two, when did Israel observe the Sabbath? Because of the Sabbath's importance, God prescribed three times that Israel was to observe it. So go back to Leviticus, where we've been. Stop first in Leviticus 23. We skipped over this last week. told you we're going to come back to it. You're going to see there's three times God prescribes it. He's going to give a Sabbath day, chapter 23, which we've already seen in, in Exodus. Then he's going to give a Sabbath year in chapter 25. And then he's going to give the super Sabbath jubilee. All right? which is also in chapter 25. So that's every 50 years. Look first at 23.3, Leviticus 23.3. This is in the, it's a he precursor to all the feasts that we studied last week. He says, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Notice, it's to the Lord aimed at him in all your dwelling places. So, rest from your work. Yes, there's some practical benefit, but the clear purpose here was spiritual. It's a solemn rest, a holy convocation to the Lord. He says, take a day off to focus upon God. Stop working. Israel, this is the sign under the Mosaic Covenant. That money and achievements are not your God. In Nehemiah, it talks about how people were trying to come in on the Sabbath day um, to sell stuff. And Nehemiah says, we're shutting that gate down. We don't buy or sell on the Sabbath, no. Because we remember God. God says, remember me in creation, redemption, and covenant. This was a weekly way to worship God. All right, Chapter 25, flip over. Sabbath year. So this is the second way that Israel was to observe the Sabbath, the Sabbath year. This is a command that they're going to keep when God brings them into the promised land. So chronologically, here's how it works. God brings them out of Egypt in Exodus. On Mount Sinai, God gives law. Then God gives more law um, through the tabernacle, uh, Yeah, at the tabernacle with Moses. Chapters 1 through 24 of Leviticus happened there. Chapter 25, look at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. So this, chapter 25, 26, 27, is distinct from the other. This is, he gave this at a different time than he did 1 through 24. This is from from that time. Now, after that, they're going to get there uh, at the end of Leviticus. God's going to say, all right, 
head up, line up, mount, mount up, roll out. We're leaving Book of Numbers. We're heading towards the promised land. Everybody's excited. We're God's people. He's redeemed us. We've got his law. We know how we're going to live. Praise the Lord. And they come right up to the promised land. They send some spies in. Spies come back. They're like, whoa, God wasn't lying. This place is money. They've got, I mean, they brings all this produce back. They're like, this place is amazing. It's amazing. But there's a problem. There's giants in the land. And everybody freaks out and says, oh, giants, well, forget it. And they back away, and God says, yeah, you don't trust me. After the ten plagues, after the Red Sea, after manna in the wilderness, after water from a rock, after seeing me, my burning glory for 40 days on a mountain while I'm given the law, after the mercy I showed you with the golden calf, after all of this, you don't want me? Fine. You don't want me to rule over you, I won't. And for 40 years, they wander and die in the wilderness. And the next generation, God says, rinse and repeat. It's just like Jonah. He does it. It's the same thing all the time. He says, oh, we're going to Nineveh. We're going to get a fish, and we're going to go. It's the same thing with them. We're going to the promised land. We'll just do it with the next generation. So Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It's to the generation that came next. And then Joshua, they go into the promised land. Okay? Now, this... This Sabbath year, they're to keep once they get into the promised land. Look at verse 2. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, book of Joshua, and the land shall keep a Sabbath to, to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. Verse 4. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. God says, you get a whole year where you don't work. Now, just as they were to rest on the first, or one day in seven, in Canaan, they're to let God's land rest one in seven. No no sowing, pruning, reaping, harvesting is to be done during the seventh year at all. In verses 6 and 7 there, it says that anything that's spontaneous that grows up, it can be eaten by anybody, not just the owner, free game, come, come and eat. But you can have no organized harvest or sale of produce. Now, think about this for just a moment. Some of you, you hear, I get a year off from work? Praise the Lord. Like, that's amazing, right? Well, if you live in ancient Israel, the way you eat and the way you live is you're a farming people. You need to feed all your cattle because you've still got sacrifices that are going on. You've got, you need to eat. Now, this was, it was obviously good for the land because they need to be replenished. It was good for the workers and the animal because farming is hard work. It's good for the poor. Chapter 23 of Exodus says they're free to eat anything that comes up. But this, supremely, was good for their souls. This was good for their souls. Because what do you need to obey this command? You need some faith. So in our day, one year, don't work. And you can't go to Costco, and you can't go to Target, and you can't go to wherever you shoppers, or wherever you go, Alti, wherever your thing is, you can't go there. Every day, you're just going to open up the fridge, and it's going to be full. What are you thinking? Come on, God, are you serious? <laughs> for real? He's for real. 
you need to believe that God would be faithful. You need to believe that He would provide. One of the things as we study through this that we need to take note of is this. God loves to put His people in a place where they must trust Him to provide. God loves to do that. He loves to put His people in a place where they are, they are straight out of luck unless God shows up. You ever been there? You there right now? I'd actually say that if, if, if you can't right now think of some way that you're leaning upon God, that if He doesn't show up, your life's in ruin, then I'm not sure if I'm not sure what it means to really be following the Lord. Like, that's the way he, that's the posture he wants his people always having, leaning upon him in such a way that if, if what God says is not true, you fall flat on your face. That's what he's giving here to these people. He wants them to know that they are dependent. And it's been this way from conception. You've got an umbilical cord. You come out. First thing you do when you come out is you scream and you... Breathe in air, and then what you need? You need some food, and the whole life's like that. From the moment life begins, we are created to be dependent upon God. And he wants his people to remember that because it keeps you humble. The proud posture of life is just going through and thinking, I got this, I'll work hard, I'm smart. Yo, I went to college. I, I, I know this stuff. I've got skills. And not even thinking that, you know what? God has to provide everything for me. And you've got to remember, in our day and age, everything is wired for you to not need God. First thing you do in our, I mean, if you, if you, if you don't feel well, like, just go get some medicine. I'm not saying medicine's bad. I'm not like, don't, I did not say medicine's bad. What I'm saying is what's your trust in Always. We could go on and on about that. 25 verse 20, he says, so God, God knows this is going to bring up some legitimate questions, right? You've got to trust me for a whole year. God has answers. 25, 20. If you say, well, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? That's what everybody's thinking. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to blow up your sixth year like you've never seen. So much so that you're going to have enough for the next three years. That's what I'm going to do. Now the temptation is, when God blows up that sixth year, is for you to do what? Man, that was a good year. I bet we can do that next year. And dismiss the command. God wants them to trust him. Trust me. Matthew Henry said it this way. God expected from them extraordinary instances of faith and obedience that (laughs) they might expect from God extraordinary instances of power and goodness in providing for them. God said, I want to show up in you. I want to show up in your world like you've never seen. Trust me. Obey my word. Trust me. That's the Sabbath year. And then following this, in verses 8 and following, is the Super Sabbath Jubilee. I'm not sure if they called it that, but I thought that was a great name for it. The Super Sabbath Jubilee. So every 50th year, you've got another special Sabbath. All the land is going to go back to the original owners. 
All debts are paid in full. Did you hear that? You'd like one of them, wouldn't you? Debt paid. Everybody wins a lottery every 50 years is what happens. Every 50 years, there's going to be a reset button in the nation. Everybody goes back to the land that you inherited whenever you came in, and everybody's debts are canceled, paid in full. God, God paid for it. Look at 25 verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Verse 9. That's a little math lesson. Verse 9. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. So on the day that I'm covering all your sin, well, every seventh time that happens, on the 50th year, we're going to blow a trumpet, and it's not just going to be your sins are going to be wiped away, but we're wiping all the dead away. Verse 10, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Did you catch that in verse 10? You shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. In Philly, on the Liberty Bell, guess what's inscribed on there? In the authorized King James Version. Right there. Verse 10. Proclaim liberty throughout the land. That's what it says. So freedom rings. Well, it shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. So when God brought Israel into Canaan, under Joshua, he gave each of the twelve tribes plots of land, just as he promised. Listen to this in Joshua 21, verse 43, it says this. The Lord gave to Israel, so this is after he brought them in, bring them into the land, conquest happened, enemies are removed, Judgment falls on them. Here we go, verse 43. The Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. They took possession of it, and they settled there. The Lord gave them rest. Did you hear that? The Lord gave them rest. He gave them Sabbath on every side, just as he swore to their fathers. When God brought Israel into the promised land, He gave them Sabbath all around, which was a picture of what they used to have in Genesis. Everyone in Israel inherited land, lived with their clan, their family, but over time, what happened was that some would fall into financial hardship, either laziness or locusts or whatever else, And when that happens for you in Israel, you've got different options. And that's what the rest of chapter 25 is all about. You can sell part of your land to a relative, which is best case scenario. If if that doesn't work out, you can sell it to a non-relative. That doesn't work out, and you can get a no-interest loan from somebody. If that doesn't work out, then you can sell yourself as a servant. Okay? So don't think slave in the way that we would think um, some of the evil slavery that's gone on in history. This is more of um, we would think of it more of like employee-employer type thing, but with a contract that was to be honored. And God says, in all of this, don't take advantage of each other. Look at twenty-five seventeen. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. 
But what would happen is, as you're going along through the year, so let's say you, you sell part of your land or you sell yourself to someone as, as a servant, if you were able to make enough money, you could buy back your land or your freedom. And basically what you would do is you would calculate it up to whatever the Jubilee year was and, and all that. Listen to Kevin DeYoung's sermon. He does a great job talking all, about all of that. But every 50 years, there was a Sabbath that served as a reset button in Israel. 25, 23. Because, no, hold on, wait. Before you look at that, when you hear that everybody gets their land back, what, 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 what goes on in here a little bit to you? What? Somebody's honest. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> because you think what? It's mine. God knows what you're thinking. Verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. It ain't yours. It never was yours. It's always been mine. Just like you've remembered every Sabbath. Creation. I made it all. It's all mine. We tend to forget, don't we? For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Do you hear that? You're in my land, but y'all, this ain't your home. You are aliens and strangers, as Peter will say about the church under the new covenant. Jubilee was in every 50th year Sabbath that Israel remembered. All that we have is the Lord's. The land that He has given, the family that He has given, the freedom that He has given, it's all from Him. So you get out the shofar and you blow it, however it sounds, and like, they just, everybody goes back home. God had gracious intentions in commanding the Sabbath. He wanted them to remember Him. And He prescribed it in these three different ways and warned them that if they did not obey the Sabbath, He would judge them. Leviticus 26, which we'll take a look at next week as we conclude the series. Verse 34 says, Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate. Meaning, if you don't obey me, I'm going to send you out under in captivity. And the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. If you don't want me to rule over you and you want idols, fine, I'll give you idols. I'm going to send you off to Assyrian Babylon. We'll see how those idols treat you out there. And while you're gone, coyotes and whatnot are going to up and live in your houses. Then the land is going to get its rest. It's going to enjoy its Sabbath. Second Chronicles, the way Second Chronicles ends is one of the kings comes of Babylon and takes Israel away, takes Judah away into captivity. And it ends saying, the Lord says, and now the land will get its Sabbath. They kept the day, but there's no record that they ever kept the yearly Sabbath or the Jubilee. Doesn't mean they didn't do the Jubilee. Doesn't mean they didn't do the yearly Sabbath. But the way that God says it at the end of Second Chronicles implies that they missed a bunch of it. At least. The Sabbath, under the Old Covenant, was intended to be a source of blessing for Israel under the Mosaic Covenant. So next week, we're going to look at how the covenant works with blessing and cursing. Obey, bless. Disobey, curse. That's how it worked for Israel. You want to enjoy life in the land? Obey me. You don't, they'll be cursing. More next week. But now we're going to conclude with our third question. 
how should Christians observe the Sabbath? What does this mean for, for people who aren't living in Israel? Which, by the way, all this talk about land, that's why they've been warring. Israel and Palestine have been warring. That's the heart of it for thousands of years. It's over whose land is it? Anyway, the question number three. How should Christians observe the Sabbath? Now, this is a question that Christians have wrestled with for, for quite a long time. So the way we're going to look at this is, what did Jesus do in regards to the Sabbath? And then, what are we supposed to do? Okay? Hebrews 10.1 says this. So, this is going to be pretty topical from here. You can just write down verses. I'll send you the notes if you want them. But Hebrews 10.1 says this. The law, everything that we've been studying this morning in Leviticus... The law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of its realities. So the Sabbath was supposed to be a flashing arrow pointing forward. Israel, it's binding for you under the Old Covenant. Under the Mosaic Covenant, binding for you. Because that's how God's dealing with you. But it's pointing forward to somebody's coming somebody's coming. That seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head, he's coming, he's going to give rest one day. And then he came. His name's Jesus. And Jesus, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, said this, Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to, what? Fulfill them. That Sabbath has been screaming out for me. The sacrifices have been screaming out for me. And this is important to understand. Jesus did not come to just to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And he, you need to know this as you're reading through his ministry. Because the way Jesus goes about his ministry, it sends shockwaves through Israel and their leadership. Because Jesus, Jesus was always picking a fight. I mean, in a, in a, in a good, holy way. He deliberately is healing and ministering on the Sabbath to expose the misunderstanding of everybody about what the Sabbath was supposed to be. He heals a guy who hasn't been able to walk in 38 years, and the guy picks up his mat, and he's walking, and the the Pharisees say, you're not supposed to be picking up your mat on the Sabbath. Like, that's what law does. It points out no, no, no to grace. But grace says, what? No, freedom. Another scene was in Matthew 12 where... Uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they're plucking some grain and they're eating it. And the Pharisees say, that's unlawful to do on the Sabbath. They're working. They're harvesting. And Jesus says, have you not read the Bible? When David wanted the showbread and he came in and the priest gave it? He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, his disciples. For, and then he says this, the Son of Man, Jesus' name that he uses all the time for himself out of Daniel, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus rules the Sabbath because the Sabbath was always about him. It was always about him. So the point is that if you, if you really want to obey God, what they would do is they would take all of their effort given to ob- Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath observing, and they would, by faith, observe him. They would lay aside their work 
not to find righteousness in keeping a day a certain way, but they would lay aside their work to find righteousness in the one who keeps the whole law as God prescribes. That's what's behind it. In Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 16 through 21, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and... um, he, he gets a scroll and he reads Isaiah 61 about how the Messiah would bring the kingdom of God. And then this is it. And then listen to what Jesus says. So this is the quote from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has, listen, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Where's that from? Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jubilee. And then, Jesus, he drops the mic. He rolls rolls up the scroll and he sits down and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody goes... Jesus, Jesus just said he's the Jubilee. Jesus just said he's the Messiah. Jesus just said he's Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus just said the whole Bible points to him. It's exactly the truth. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the people who are bankrupt in their sin, who are enslaved, who've lost everything, who are unable to pay their debt. Jesus came and He paid it all. All to Him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but in Him He makes us white as snow. He paid the price and He... Liberty, baby. Freedom. Jubilee in me. That's where it is. You want rest? Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You tired of the Pharisees dropping legalistic yokes on you? My yoke is light. Come to me. You tired of the weariness of sin? How it keeps sucking life out of you? You tired of that? Because that's what sin does. It drains life out of you. You tired of that? He says, you don't have to have that anymore. He says, you want freedom? You want jubilee? I'm the jubilee, says Jesus. I set people free, says Jesus. Come to Jesus. Hmm. Now, when God gave the land to Israel... The Sabbaths there were not the end. Listen to this from Hebrews that Ben read earlier. If Joshua had given them rest, ultimate rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. A day yet to come. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, whoever has entered God's Sabbath, has also rested from his works as God did from his Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience as the Israelites. 
There is a Sabbath rest now for the people of God. That rest has already come and it has not yet come. It has already come in the work of Christ who did everything that we just talked about. Who came and who died and took the judgment that we deserve for all of our rebellions. Who fulfilled the law. Christ has fulfilled it. And now for those who by faith will turn from their sin and trust in Him, they are brought in Christ and there is now given a rest where we no longer labor to try and make God happy with us by doing all sorts of different things, hoping that this this might be enough to get me into your presence. He says, that's over with. I did it all, says Jesus. There's a rest now that we know. But there's also a rest to come, he says. There's an already not yet to the Christian life. We rest now in the finished work of Christ. But we strive by faith with all of the grace that he supplies to run toward heaven, the final rest. We fight sin with all that we've got. We encourage each other day by day as long as it's called today. We're about to start Hebrews in the fall. The whole thing is about we're pressing into the rest that's spoken of here, pressing in by faith in Christ who is the rest himself. And it's, it's amazing to see how both the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants will be fulfilled in that last day when we, by faith, finally are brought into the new heaven and the new earth. God had promised Abraham a land. Well, there's going to be a new creation that we will forever be in. Remember the creation. He promised them seed, descendants. When that new creation, the new heavens and new earth, there will be people there from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will forever remember redemption. And there will be blessing that for eternity, God's people will sing of the joy of the Savior who brought Jubilee. They will remember the covenant that keeps them as the bride of Christ forevermore. That's amazing. Jesus fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant through his work. We are now brought into a new covenant where Jesus has fulfilled the requirement of the Sabbath and now frees us from its shadow to pursue its substance, who is Christ. So the question then, that's what Jesus did, is the Sabbath still binding for God's people today? It depends on what you mean. Do you have to obey the Sabbath in the same way that Israel did? Let's see if you've learned everything. What does everybody say? No. Thank you. Good. No. Because the Sabbath was the mark of the Mosaic Covenant. We were not freed from slavery in Egypt. That's not what we were freed from. But we can remember that as a shadow which Christ, who is a substance, freed us from the greater Egypt, slavery of sin. We are now under the new covenant. Old covenants completed in Jesus. Complete in thee, O blessed thought. This this is why the songs we sing are filled with these truths. We are now in him under a new covenant in his blood in which we remember Him. 
So what does that mean? Well, Colossians 2, 16 says it this way. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, Leviticus 11, or with regard to festival, Leviticus 23, or new moon or a Sabbath, Leviticus 25. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Romans 14, 5. Well, then, then why, for some of us, do we feel like, but actually, I, I think... In my own conscience, I would be sinning if I mowed the lawn on Sunday. So that's, that's Ben, okay? So Ben, not to put you on blast, but I'm putting you on blast. So Ben, Ben is a Sabbatarian in that sense. For Ben, his conscience convicts him that if he mows the lawn or does some kind of work like that on, this, on, on Sunday, that, that would be, it would be sinful for him, okay? For me, I think it's worshipful to mow the grass on Sunday. It's great. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to be free in that. We can be in the same church, believe in the same gospel, because we realize that in Christ there is a freedom that he gives. Some consciences are bent a certain way, knowing there's no righteousness in that at all. It's just un- But it is sin to disobey the conscience. That's why we always need to have our conscience informed by God. But it, it, it is sin. It would be sin for Ben. I would counsel him to not mow his grass on Sunday because I think it would be sinful for him because I know what his conscience says, okay? And he would counsel me to mow your grass on Sunday if it's worshipful. Don't, don't put, mow your grass, right? Yeah. <laughs> the true Pharisee right there. Um, <laughs> so how are Christians supposed to deal with this? Well, Romans 14, 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Who are you to judge the servant of another? If one abstains, he abstains for the Lord. One who in, engages does it for the Lord. There's freedom in Christ. Originally, the Sabbath was celebrated on Saturday, but Christ's resurrection, since that day that happened on a Sunday, the church has met on the first day of the week where we find rest that we've had all week long. But uniquely, we think about it on this day where we sing and preach and pray and fellowship remembering the creation. That God is the giver of all things. The redemption that we have in Christ. And the covenant that we are now under. A new covenant in his blood. So, very briefly, a word about work and a word about rest. A word about work. The assumption in the Bible is that you work. It was that way before the fall. Commanded to work six days and then rest. Henry Ford changed the thing to five days. We can talk about that offline. But anyway, no laziness is the idea. But we do all of our work with an eye toward God because Jesus is the Lord, not just of the Sabbath, but he's Lord over all, including whatever work you have. And that uniquely gives Christians something that's an echo of Eden that the rest of the world doesn't have. That Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, do your work heartily unto the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of inheritance, it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. So you can do a job and find a joy knowing that you serve the king that the world doesn't understand. So whatever hard job you have, whenever it's mundane and difficult, remember, there's a rest in Christ and you serve the king. So serve him well. Christians ought to be the best employees on the planet. And now a word about rest. Under the new covenant, you are not bound 
to a specific day or time or way of resting. Unless your conscience guides you separately and you're not finding righteousness in that. But you need physical and spiritual renewal in God. So I want to encourage us to intentionally stop and remember God. The Lord's Day is a wonderful day to do that, but it should be an everyday thing as we every day abide in Him. And just a warning, we, since we began this way, about refreshing yourself with worldly escapes. There's something about binge-watching a whole bunch of Netflix stuff that when you get done, you don't just think, man, I love Jesus so much more now. You just feel like, I just wasted my life, I think. And if not, we should talk about that afterwards. <laughs> I would just want to encourage you that whatever you're sowing, we also reap. It's fine to enjoy things, to have escapes. We can talk about what that looks like. There's freedom in Christ, but the most important rest that we have is the rest in God that comes by faith through Christ. So make sure you're retreating to the Lord regularly, deeply, remembering his work in creation, remembering his work in redemption, and the covenant that now binds us with him, who we will see one day face to face, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is amazing. That from cover to cover, it's about you. You preach one big sermon. Jesus. Jesus is the hope of sinners. Thank you. Father, now as we come to the table of the King and we rest in the finished work, we pray that you would help us to remember Jesus, to remember the work that was done on our behalf. Help us to enjoy deeply Christ the Lord. Father, we thank you for the way that you provide all that we need. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.